Drink wide, Vancouver. Pre-game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog from Sports Odds. Free casino games make a play. Bodog.net. Watton and J-Pad here with you. Another gorgeous day in the lower mainland. J-Pad as we talking some Canucks here. And of course, Canucks are always on the brain when it comes to the fan base. Sure. We, we put out an Ask J-Pad yesterday. We got a bunch of questions. So we're going to get to those a little bit later on. We're going to tee up. The playoff games. There are games tonight, right? I got that right. You now? do have I, that, I got that right. right, and I like your use of tee up because ah. we talked a little golf so tie that in. And in fact, I don't know. Do you see the picture that I tweeted earlier this morning? I was just, I was watching like the really early coverage of the PGA Championship, and mm-hmm. they showed John Rahm walking onto the grounds at uh, Oak Hill, and I was drawn to one of the guys he was with wearing a Canucks toque. Oh, and and then as I looked a little closer, I was like, Adwin? No, it's Dr. Harry Cece, who I think was last seen flanking Jim Rutherford at that Tanner Pearson press conference. Remember when they had the two doctors? Oh, yeah, that's right. Holy. Dr. Harry Cece is part of Team Raw and has no been way. for a while. And so there's your connect- connection to the PGA Championship beyond our little side. I can't call it a wager because we didn't put stakes on nah. it. The BC boys, late tea times as we record this, they're not even on the golf course. So we will watch and we'll chart it as the weekend goes ahead. Hopefully they both make it to the weekend, but... You've got Nick Taylor. I've got Adam Hadwin, and uh, we'll see how that all plays out. Too bad we didn't have Corey Connors doing well already <laughs> early on. See, this is why the folks want to listen to Rinkwide Vancouver. For perspective like that, for little nuggets like that, fantastic find there, J-Pat. Um, our buddy Drancer put out an article on The Athletic, and I encourage those who haven't read it to go and, and read it. But just talking about the different avenues the Canucks can take when it comes to trying to clean up this this cap that they have, this mess of a cap they have. And he ran through the gauntlet, buyouts, sweeteners, trading valuable players, retaining salary, old school hockey trades, all of that. So let's break it all down here. We've talked about buyouts already, right? And he lays it out in the article as well. Absolute last resort would be buyouts. Now, Patrick Alvin didn't necessarily close the door and the intention is not to use them. That doesn't mean he might have his hand forced, right? So buyouts starting there. Tell us why this is not a good idea for the Canucks. I know we've broken down OEL, but there's definitely others that you may not want to go down that road with. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, like Patrick Bildeen was really calculated at that year-end media availability when he was asked point blank about using buyouts. And as you said, his choice of words was, it's not my intention to use buyouts. That's not a hard no. The door is not closed there. But at that point in time, he's looking at other avenues. And, and I think he should. I mean, the pros to using a bio would be to get some money off the books right away. You would create the cap space. You would get that cap cushion that they have been chasing for the better part of a year and a half since this management group took over. So a bio frees up cap space in the here and now. But, of course, with the NHL mechanism that's in place, a bio keeps two-thirds of that salary on the books for the duration or twice the, the term left of the contract. So you're talking about pushing dead money down the road yeah. to a point in time where some point you want to believe that they're going to get it right, they're going to get it figured out, and the Canucks are going to have some traction and start moving in the right direction. And then how much dead money do you want in the books? How much dead money can you afford to have on the books? Even if the cap goes up, that is just dead money. It's just sitting there. It's a, a pile in the corner. Can't move. And if it's OEL, I mean, there's a lot of money and it would be a long term. So... Yeah, I mean, buyouts feel like a last resort, and I guess one beauty of the buyout is that the window doesn't open until right after the Stanley Cup final. So there's still time here. 
but also in saying that, like, what are the chances that, you know, the ground is fertile for big time trades while hockey's still being played? Pretty unlikely. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. I do wonder if the Canucks are going to have to double back at some point with a buyout. And you're right. We've focused so much on OEL and what that would look like in the short term and how much money they'd have to carry for seemingly forever. You know, if you look at Connor Garland, like, just think for a second, like, you know, a lot of talk in this market about Connor Garland, what he is and what he isn't. He's National Hockey League, who in the right situations could be pretty productive. And this idea of buying him out and having his money on the books for a while, while he goes somewhere else, some other team gets a sweetheart deal where they get him at pennies on the dollar, essentially, because he's still collecting Canuck paychecks. And then he goes out and he's a 50-point guy somewhere else that's, you know, like, I think that would be pretty tough to swallow for Vancouver Canuck fan base. And, I mean, would it create some cap space? Yeah. It's very but, little in the first two years. And that's very the thing. little. So, yeah, when we're weighing the pros and cons here, it's ultimately, you know, to what end is a buyout a valuable tool yeah. for the Vancouver Canucks? Yeah. So, just to use Garland as an example, because we already went over OEL, I think a few times on this podcast. But to give Garland an example with Garland, it would be six years that you would be sitting on him in terms of the dead money. The first year would just be a savings of 838000 and change. Then after that, you're looking at four years at 1.88 million in savings, or sorry, in, in terms of cap hit. Like, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all for someone like Connor Garland. And like, Connor Garland is, he's an NHL player. Like, he's useful. Is he a $4.9 million NHL player? That's debatable. Could he get to that? Perhaps. We haven't seen it here in Vancouver. So, And, and this is part of the problem right now for the Vancouver Canucks. I don't want to say it's part of the problem with the salary structure and the whole cap system, but you saw last summer, Oliver Bjorkstrand, the mm-hmm. Columbus Blue Jackets went out and they signed Johnny Hockey and they gave Eric Branson way too much money and they were slapping dollars around. And all of a sudden, you know, they kind of squeezed Oliver Bjorkstrand. And the Seattle Kraken were like, hey, this is a decent player. We know this is a decent player. You know, we'll give you a couple of mid-round draft choices, but that's all we'll give you, but we'll take him off the books. And so that trade went down and Seattle got a player that they plugged in and he was really good for them. Very good. Throughout the season yeah. and, and in the playoffs. But Connor Garland, you would think Connor Garland should be able to fetch. There should be a team out there that says three more years of Connor Garland, you know, third line guy, even strength point producer. Yeah, we, there's some value there. We'll, you know, cost certainty. We'll flip you a fourth round pick or something. But these teams know that the Canucks are in salary cap. Nobody's doing them a favor. And so where Seattle was able to squeeze or take advantage of the squeeze that Columbus was in, all these other teams are like, forget it. We're not giving you a fourth round draft. We want to take on assets for you to have the right to move Connor Garland. And so it's not that Connor Garland's not a valuable piece and can't play in the National Hockey League. I think we all agree that he can. But teams recognize that the Canucks are in salary cap hell and nobody, nobody's doing them a favor. That's why we're spending today looking at ways that they can free up this cap space that they covet. All right, well, let's pivot on to the sweetener trade now. Would the Canucks be able to move a young piece to get off a bad contract? I saw in Drancer's piece, a name like Vasily Podkols, and I know Nils Hoaglander has been batted around in this sort of scenario before, but I was very intrigued to see a name like Vasily Podkols and perhaps be one of those sweeteners. How would that go over in this market if you were to move off a 10th overall pick who has yet to find his ceiling in the NHL? Right, but you were the guy that was suggesting... Lekaramaki on the last pod, right? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. again, another first round pick, top yeah. fifteen, not top ten. And you're but right. You've we've, seen, but you've seen, like, we've got enough. a taste of Pod Colson right now. We haven't. Had, I think most people are, are thinking that Lekaramaki might be a bust, and he's been give him some time here, man. Right. right? Well, what's the common thread here? We're talking about 
a first rounder, a first rounder. Hoaglander yeah, was yeah. a relatively early second rounder yep. who has played in the National Hockey League and produced. Yeah. And then people are talking about this 11th overall pick. Like, this is the price the Canucks may have to pay just to move one of these bad contracts. And so, you know, what's the pro of a sweetener? Well, it moves the money off the books. It would help you, in theory, move off Brock Besser or Connor Garland. Besser's got two years left, but there's more money. Garland's got three years left, a little less money. But both of those would be contracts, I think, the Canucks are. Plus, they've got this surplus of wingers. So, you know, that's the plus, obviously, is that, yeah, and that might be the easiest way, ultimately, if they're willing to kind of plug their nose and say, I mean, as we go through this, the common theme is going to be pain, right? Like, it's a good option. Uh, so it's kind of pick your poison, if you will. A sweetener would allow you to attach a player to one of those contracts, move them off. The con is that not only are you now without one of your top line players in Besser or Garland, you're also without one of the replacements. Like we think if they move Besser or Garland, that Nils Hoaglander would be a candidate to slide right in there and take one of those guys' spots in the National Hockey League lineup. This is a team that is still trying to improve through all of this with all of these hurdles that they have to they hop over. The end of the day, the Canucks need to get a whole lot better. And so the idea of attaching a sweetener just to move off a contract, it's kind of like one step forward, but two steps back in some ways. Because not only will you not have Brock Besser or Connor Garland, depending who you attach the sweetener to, but you're, now you don't have front goals in or Hoaglander. Like this team can't afford, needs those young guys. Now it's going to need them in a couple of years. And so, you know, for that reason, a sweetener might be the easiest route to go, but it also may end up being the most painful. Who would you give up if you had to? Like, uh, like uh, Hoaglander, Puck Colson, the 11th overall pick, or LeCaramacchi? Like, is, is the 11th overall pick maybe the best because of unknown? Oh, I mean, that just pains me to even contemplate after yeah. the first yeah. rounders that they've given up. But I, I don't know. Like, like I don't know if Niels Hoaglander is ultimately a Rick Tockett kind of guy, but you know, the Tockett loves guys whose motors are going and, you know, wall work and all that kind of stuff. And he had a really good season down in Abbotsford and he bought in and we spent a lot of time talking about him, but you know, he hasn't played for Rick Tockett. Tockett's gone out and watched him, but he hasn't had him because he didn't ever get the call back up after the coaching change. So I don't know. Like, I, I wonder if another undersized winger in the eyes of Tockett, like that's, you know, not kind of Rick Tockett's sort of player. And, and maybe Nils Hoaglander is ultimately the player that they would part with. Cause I do think, I mean, we heard at the trade deadline that there were teams that were either sniffing around on Hoaglander or wanted Hoaglander to be attached to a larger deal, I think there are teams that see the value in Nils Hoaglander and look at the underlying numbers and all that kind of stuff. So, again, pain. Every every option is going to lead us to the same place, if that's pain. And this one, a bit of a double whammy, because say what you will about the underperformance of Brock Besser as a goal scorer or Connor Garland in his overall production, you'd be moving them in their contracts. You'd also be moving on a young piece that in theory, should be a replacement for one of those guys. Yeah, and I know that Drancer talked about it in his piece here, but he used that example that when, I believe I've brought it up on a last pod as well, when the Leafs had to move off of the contract to Patrick Marlowe and they end up sending it to Carolina and there's a first round pick attached to it and it ends up being a player like Seth Jarvis, who's just 21 years old and has 150 NHL games under his belt and 79 points. So, But at that that's point, the, like the, Leafs had, the Leafs had already been a playoff team for a bunch of years when they made those moves. Oh, so yeah, they, no, we know. Yeah, we know, yeah. Yeah. They could afford to like the yeah. Canucks, you know, yeah. haven't sniffed And honestly, like, the, the except ball. Jarvis doesn't really like with the amount of talent that they have, they're probably like, 
Eh, it's all right. You know what I mean? Like, it yeah, worked out better for us because we got the cap space. No, but they could afford to do it once. They haven't given up a first-rounder to get JT Miller. True. They haven't given up a first-rounder to get Connor Garland and OEL. They haven't given up a first-rounder to get Philip Tronick in here. Yeah. They can afford to do that as a one-off in isolation. But where the Canucks are, this idea of parting with a fourth first-rounder in the last four years, like, this is just it's crazy talk. All right, all right. J-Pat's head's about to explode it here. Is. So let's get to trading oh. a valuable player for futures. And, of course, JT Miller's name would definitely be one that popped up here. But how about this, though? What about Thatcher Demko? You got some goaltending that you like in the system right now. Look, there is a world where... Nobody wants to hear this. There's a world where trading Elias Patterson would be the answer to a lot of what ails the Vancouver Canucks. And trust me, I get it. I want to see Elias Patterson develop in a Canuck uniform and lead this team to to great height. But you know, whether it's Patterson, whether it's Demko, whether it's Hughes, like we think of them sort of as the untouchables. But not only would you get significant assets in return, and you'd create that cap space you're looking for. But then it leaves this massive hole in the core that you're trying to develop. So, you know, again, just another route to that same place, pain. Um, you know, I don't see it happening, but there is a world where I guess I've got time to contemplate the idea of, you know, if you put that Demko out on the open market and assess what you could fetch. And again, where you are in your evolution, if it was finding a stopgap goaltender, if it was going all in with Arthur Silams and hoping that he was ready ahead of time, you know, not only would you get out for the Demco contract, which, look, it's a value contract. It is about five million yeah. bucks. So yeah. I, yeah. that's not a contract that I'm looking to move off of necessarily. You know, again, you come back to those wingers because that's where they have surplus of players and guys that have underperformed. Dr. Demko, when he's healthy, has not underperformed. And at five million bucks, like that's a contract that you should be able to build around. But I also think with the cost certainty of three more years of Demco at five mil, you know, what is his value on the open market? And like, what could you fetch on top of, you know, opening up the 5 million bucks that you're paying him for each of the next three years? So I don't want to contemplate it, but like, that's a path that's a Pandora's box, but it's a path there that, you know, you could tread, I suppose. Well, oh, wow. Elias, just the thought of that. But at the same time too, like with your trade partner, because there'd be a lot of teams that would be like, oh, Elias Pedersen's available. But at the same time too, with that trade partner, like they've got a they're going to have to buck up, right? Well, so that's only going to get that, one more year. Elias Pedersen, the player, I don't want to any part of trading him. No. Elias Pedersen, the guy that's going to command $11 million soon. Mm-hmm. That's the obstacle. And so it would be an obstacle for any team. But, you know, again, a team that is close, a team that feels like a piece here or there. And yeah, this is for us to kick around on a podcast like this one. I don't think for a second the Canucks are contemplating trading Elias Pedersen. But ultimately... Again, like, what's your solution to the cap crunch? I mean, at some point, it may have your hands may be so forced that this is what it comes to is trading what we thought was an untouchable for futures so that you're not bringing back money in a trade. You are creating cap space and you're getting future assets that could help you. And I would think significant assets that could help you in the years ahead. What about Mikheyev? What about moving off of Mikheyev? He's got a modified no trade. But. And I don't know what the market is for a guy who blew his knee out. Like, yeah. I think there's yeah. a lot of hockey people that would say, no, we need to see a half a season or a full season, you know, for a speed burner. That's his yeah. ticket. Like, I don't want to say the surgery is routine, but it gets performed a lot and guys have come back. Although I think over the time, over time, we've seen that guys aren't always the same when they come back from a significant knee reconstruction like this one. So I think there are a lot of teams that would view Ilya Mikheyev right now as 
a wait and see, put him on the back burner. You know, this guy's got to come back and show that he is up to 100% and doing the things that made him the player that got the contract that the Canucks were giving him. So I don't think he's sort of on the trade market right now. I know we've talked about this and how the hole that it would open up. What about JT Miller? Like, what about the reality of moving off of JT Miller before this contract kicks in? Yeah, I mean, look, that would create huge cap space and that is ultimately what the Canucks uh, are looking for. it creates a massive space in the the lineup as well, though, right? And that's where the other piece of the puzzle is. How does this team move forward and get better Mm -hmm. if you're looking at trading one of these guys that we kind of thought was either untouchable in Patterson or Hughes or at least part of the core in the case of Demko and Miller. And so, again, like not trying to paint doom and gloom, we're trying to deal in reality with the situation facing the Vancouver Canucks. And this is it that, yes, you could rank their priorities. It seems to me, listening to Alvin and Rutherford when he used to talk to the media, you know, creating cap space, getting the cap under control, that's priority number one. And then from there, it's improving this hockey club. Well, can you do one without the other? Not really, unless you get improvement from within, but we've touched on that in past shows as well. Like, Elias Pedersen had 100 points. I don't think he's a 120-point guy. I think he can be a 100-point player for a couple of, you know, foreseeable future here. But, like, I don't think he can be 20% more productive. Quinn Hughes, history would tell you that, like, defensemen outside of Eric Carlson, you know, 70 to 80 points is, like, a massive total. So there really isn't this huge extended runway for Quinn Hughes to get a whole lot better you know, I think a lot of people think Kuzmenko just on the percentages is going to take a step back in his overall goal scoring production. So, you know, how does this team improve from within? There are some younger players that I think can evolve and, and step their games up a little bit. But again, I think so much of this is going to be on the back of Thatcher Demko in the kind of season that he has. And ultimately, is that going to hide a lot of the warts again? Like, I kind of feel like if Demko comes back and has this incredible season like he had for Bruce Boudreaux, good for him. It'll be good for the team in the short term, but ultimately it could end up masking, you know, a lot of the problems that still plague the Vancouver Canucks and their roster construction. All right. Retaining salary is next. It's hard to do with term left on contracts. Of course, you can only retain three per team. The Canucks have one right now with Horvat, but it'll be uh, expires June 30th when his new contract kicks in. So. Is that a road that perhaps they could go? I mean, at the same time, too, like I said, hard to do with players with term left on their contracts. Yeah. I mean, when I look at the pros of retaining salary, it, and yes, it'll allow you to move off some of those guys that we've talked about. It creates some cap space, but really not a lot. Like if you're having to take back two million on Brock Besser, you've created four million bucks essentially, but you haven't gotten rid of the entire contract. And sort of like my example under a sweetener, you're now paying a decent player to go play somewhere else at less than market value for that new team because you've held back some of the money, right? So you're doing another team a favor, essentially. You're giving them a player that probably isn't up to their contract, but at a lower level, yeah, maybe there's some interest there, but you're paying part of the freight there, and then it creates dead money. Now, the difference between the retaining salary route and buyouts is the dead money is it's finite, right? Like, when the contract is up, so is the dead money, where the buyout will carry on beyond the term of the deal. So it's not as punitive in that regard that you know what you're looking at. And I do think if at this stage they've tried things with Besser and they've got the agent involved, he's still a Canuck, so clearly they haven't found a deal that works, I do wonder about retaining salary. But then it's a question of how much and how, you know half the salary. Is that worth to the Vancouver Canucks to move Brock Besser at half his salary? That doesn't feel like it. You know, you're paying 
three plus for him to go and play somewhere else. Yeah, screw that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but again, teams know the Canucks are up against it. So nobody's going to say, you just hold back, you know, 500 grand or a mill. Like, I think people are going to try and ratchet up the dollar figure that the Canucks would have to retain in order to pull off that kind of trade. But I do think a retaining salary kind of deal is something that ultimately the Canucks are going to have to look at on the pain scale when all roads lead back to pain. That one may be among, because again, the money will come off the books in a couple of years. In Besser's case, it will be three years in Garland's case, but at least you know that it's not going five, six, eight years in the case of a guy like OEL. All right. Well, we sort of batted this around already with the talk of trading, you know, perhaps maybe someone like as valuable as Elias Pettersson, but old school hockey trade, you know, Canucks have assets. One of them, their biggest one being Elias Pettersson, but they got a lot of heavily, highly priced wingers, that is. And highly priced wingers, they're not valuable assets around the NHL. Uh-huh. Like, look at the Canucks, or the Leafs even, with Mitch Marner. Like They're even talking about perhaps moving a talent like Mitch Marner, and at the same time, too, with his salary hit and where he plays, I think there'd be a lot of teams that would balk at that. Yeah, and I mean, without knowing the specifics of a deal, hypothetically speaking here, a hockey trade doesn't really create cap space. No. Like, doubt you're doing an exact dollar for dollar but if we use brock besser if you're able to find a trading partner for brock besser a team that thinks all right you know a new home for him fresh start change of scenery uh but they're probably going to want you to take a contract back in return that is of equal value you know and so how does that free things up i've given the example of the past thinking that maybe there's a team out there that would say all right, we've watched this Besser for a while. We saw him early in his career. He scored a bunch of goals. He doesn't seem like the same player, not necessarily a sniper anymore, but still relatively productive. You know, we're willing to take a chance here, but, you know, we're going to offload a bad contract on you, and that's the trade-off. The Canucks would get out of two years left on Brock Besser. The acquiring team would get the far better player, but to make the deal go down for this coming season, the Canucks might have to take on a bad contract that wouldn't help them as much as Brock Besser in the short term, but then that contract would yeah. be up and that's where you create the cap space. But like, then you're what you're just punting another year of peak Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes to spin your wheels to sort of set you up for a, a year from now. And ultimately maybe that's what is going to have to happen here for the Vancouver Canucks is they're going to have to bite the bullet for another year. But the crazy part there is you are then flushing on you know, 25-year-old Elias Pettersson and a 24-year-old Quinn Hughes and these guys that are doing incredible things individually and want to be supported, but, you know, through no fault of their own, can't really support them the way that you want. So one thing a hockey trade could do, though, where it may not create cap space necessarily, what if you could send those two years of Brock Besser for one year of a third-line center that's somewhere else that can play, but, you know, isn't the answer long-term, but would address one of your needs for at least next season. Is that something that you would look at if you're the bank? Because you've got an abundance of wingers as well, right? Right. Like with Hoaglander and Pod Colson looking to try to make a step here. Like you could, you yeah, you essentially could fill Brock Besser's hole easier easier than you could the hole that's that is there right now exactly. at three C, right? Yeah. Totally. No, I, I get that. And so yes, a hockey trade doesn't create cap space, but it does reallocate yeah. money from a surplus position over on the wing to a position of need, whether that's third-line center or, uh, you know, could you add a yeah. defenseman somewhere? The teams are probably, 
mean, this is the thing. The Canucks can have this wish list of third-line center and defensemen, but we know like those are coveted around the National Hockey League, so it's hard to imagine that a lot of teams would be looking to part with those, especially if they're taking on the full $6 million plus of two, you know, the two oh, years yeah. remaining on Brock yeah. Besser's deal. Oh, you're definitely limited with partners, for sure, with that deal. But that's where your pro scouting comes in. And we've seen, like, we've seen that improve amongst the Canucks, right, under this new regime, right? So, yep. yeah, that's definitely something that... That might even be the route. I think as we've gone through this whole thing, this last option might be the route where we might be able to open up a little bit of cap space. But like, let's be honest here. Like, this is going to be, like you said, pain. There's going to be pain. And they're, they're going to have to make some tough decisions right now. Whether they could move off of Besser and Garland, that will be interesting to see. But also, too, you know, they, those are holes that now open up in your lineup as well. So, well, but the other thing too with the hockey trade route is if that seems appealing, why have they been able to kick that door down? Yeah, and they've been point. going at this for a year with yeah, Brock Becker. But also, too, teams are trying to figure now, teams are pivoting off of this season into the next season. They are. Right. And, and as teams have now fallen, we only got four left now at this point. No, right? and, so. and you're right. Up until now, Bester's had three years left. Like that. Yes. He signed that. Yes. Now there's two years. Yes. Like a exactly. year from now, I think there's a team out there that would be willing to oh, 100%. take a chance on Brock Bassard. Oh, yeah. But with one, with one year remaining on it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. At his age. And right. you know, maybe maybe he does score that 30 this year. And maybe all of this is for nothing. And maybe yeah. he just stays with the Canucks. And who knows? I don't know. By the way, did you see this? That Western Standard News out of New West getting duped? <laughs> Incredible. 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 Now, Canucks Twitter always has remained undefeated. Like, it it will forever. They are the champions of hockey Twitter. But Primetime Snoop on Twitter puts out that fake post (laughs) that the city of Surrey has put towards a formal bid for the Coyotes to relocate to Surrey. And the Western Standard out of New West just jumped all over that. I thought that was good for a chuckle on a day-to-day where we're all serious business talking about salary cap and getting rid of oh, good players. Oh, and people are Here's dunking this. all over, as they should be, and yet like there hasn't been any sort of retraction. The tweet still was there. Like, point, does reality hit? You've just been snooped, essentially. Uh, oh, and, wow, yeah. and what does that phone call sound like internally in their offices or to the guy that you know posted the, the story? So... Yeah, when I saw that, I thought, all right, like we've been down this road before, Mr. Booth. Yeah. Uh, but I saw one in Toronto yesterday, too, that had a long list that had Jason Spezza was now the coach, and there was all sorts of stuff. And again, replies and people, just the hook in their mouth. It's Twitter. Like, come on. But no, people are still getting still getting duped out there on the uh, old Twitter machine. Getting duped. A primetime snoop. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. 
We keep telling you guys that we'll answer your, or you'll answer it. Is that is the Ask JPack question? If you ask JPack, oh, you're allowed to answer. I guess so. Yeah, too. Yeah. Uh, we'll take in those questions. So you can always send them into us at Rinkwide Van on Twitter. Please give us a follow if you're not already, uh, or you can hit us up in the Go Goat Sports inbox seven seven eight four zero two ninety six eighty. We put out a call for them yesterday. We got some good ones here, so I got three for you, JPack. All right. We'll start with Ella, and it sort of. Uh, Goes off what we were talking about earlier before, but they want to know who goes Garland or Besser. <laughs> uh, is this a question oh! from? Is this a question from last year? Is it a question from Christmas time? Wow, I know, deadline? I know, I know. Uh, on and on it goes. Uh, I I still think Besser is their priority. I think they probably feel that there's more interest in Besser as a player, uh, even though the contract is a little more expensive but it's also shorter uh, but I, I still think that second chance new lease on life kind of thing will intrigue some teams where Connor Garland's only played for two teams in the National Hockey League it's not like he's bounced around an awful lot but um, I, I think that there is sort of this intrigue and in, you know is there a place is there a coach is there a team that could unlock the 30 goal scorer that yep. is lying inside Brock Besser and waiting to come out and it didn't come out this year uh, so next year is a new year. We'll see what happens. But I, I think of those two that Besser would be the Canucks' preferred option. But again, we just went through the long list of reasons why it's been a struggle and what does that trade look like and ultimately what does it net the Canucks and those types of things. That I don't have the answer. When is it going to go down? I don't have a crystal ball. But uh, I do think that they've been trying awfully hard for the better part of a year now. I like this one from Andrew. Are they thinking about bringing in a legit fighter to protect the Stars? Interesting, because, like, who's a legit fighter in the NHL? I mean, Ryan Reeves, I guess. But, like, yeah, I mean, the players got to be able to play, though, right? Right. There aren't many heavyweights remaining in the National Hockey League. I know that there's been talk about Milan Lucic as an unrestricted ah, free agent. Local boy. We know what Rick Tockett thinks of, you know, the idea of being stronger and board battles and all this stuff. But we all know how Tockett played the game. Now, the game has changed a ton since his playing days, but I think in the back of his mind and his DNA, there is something to be said about uh, intimidating your opponents, you know, running through your opponents as around, as opposed to skating around them. Uh, you know, the idea of going out, like the days of every team having a heavyweight are long gone. And I don't think that you can sit here and say that, you know, the teams that got knocked out of the playoffs got knocked out because they didn't have enough toughness. But in the same breath, you know, we have spent a fair bit of time talking about Radko Gudis. Not a heavyweight, but a guy that certainly doesn't shy away. A guy that plays the game Rick Tockett style. Now, I'm not suggesting that Radko Gudis is becoming a Vancouver Canuck. But, you know, you look around what's left in the playoffs here. There are guys that, I mean, Jamie Benn at one point was, you know, one of the real power, preeminent power forwards in the National Hockey League. I don't think he still plays that style necessarily, but I don't think he shies away either. Um, you know, Vegas has toughness, like whether it's Braden McNabb, uh, we saw Keegan Colasar against uh, yep. Edmonton. Yeah. You know, they've got toughness, but they just got size and some snarl, like got Rangelo. He's not afraid to to mix it up. So, you know, are they going to go out and get a fighter? No, I, I don't think that that's something they're going to target. But if they have any money to spend in unrestricted free, like I, I think in Rick Tockett's dream world, that third line center, whoever it is, would be able to win faceoffs and kill penalties, but would also be a prick to play against, 
right? Like just would have that sort of as part of his makeup as well. So uh, I'm not discounting them going out and chasing a little bit of toughness. Tockett's on the record saying they need more of it. But does that toughness look like Luke Shen, who, you know, is more of a deterrent, right? Like he's certainly willing when he has to stand up for teammates, but just by him being around, being on the ice, you know, you want to believe that teams aren't going to take liberties. So uh, I, I do think the door is still open to Luke Shen, uh, but I think the door is open in Toronto, and we'll see if a team comes off the top ropes with some sort of, you know, crazy offer that he just can't refuse. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do expect that the Canucks are going to try to get a little tougher here in the offseason. Do you think they missed the boat on that Jordan Greenway trade? Oh, I mean, we've spent a lot of time talking about him and, and that kind of player. He was having a dismal season in Minnesota for whatever it didn't, reason. didn't carry over very well in Buffalo either. Right. So, I mean, he's $3 million up until 20, the end of the 25 yeah. season, which is not a bad cap hit. But when no. you're putting up four points in 17 games, when you got traded to Buffalo, it's seven and 45 with Minnesota. Right. And so I, I guess I would yeah. just ask, like, can Dakota Joshua yeah. up the snarl yeah. in his game even a little bit? Like, I know he had, I think he led the team in hits or was second among the forwards in hits, but he didn't leave his mark on a lot of guys. Like, he didn't run out of the building at the end of the night going, man, like, he was a destroyer, a wrecking ball out there. Uh, didn't turn away from hits, but I, I still think that there's, Again, as they try to mold him and shape him into the player they want him to become, I think he has to get a little more assertive. So but can he though? That's the thing. Well, that yeah, I mean, He's that's so mellow. And Tocket right? asked that question at uh, his year end thing. He's like, you know, do we have guys that can get to that level, or yeah. do you have to go outside the organization? And Kyle Burroughs is another one. Just you know, there's been no talk about the Canucks approaching him and his agent here. Uh, you know, my my hunch is that they brought in other players, college free agents, at the end of the year. Again, it's just a gut feeling at this point that Kyle Burroughs is going to play somewhere else next season. I'm interested to see what the um, cap hit will be on Milan Lucic because, of course, he's finished his contract, his $6 million deal this year, and he is not even close to that anymore. Like, you're probably going to get him under $2 million a team. Oh, so, I, I would think so. That even sounds generous to me. Like, yes. He wants to live the NHL lifestyle. One five, maybe? Yeah, I think he's probably going to have to look at, uh, you know, not the league minimum, but yeah, I would think something that starts yeah. with a one is probably the what it's uh, going to amount to. Maybe might be worth sniffing around if you're the Canucks then. Good local boy, be a great story. Still got some game. Played 77 games for Calgary this year, which is surprising. Uh, B. Reynolds wants to know, are they bringing in a true backup if Demko goes down early again? I think they need to bring in a true backup regardless. <laughs> you don't want him going down early. No, but I mean, I, I just go off what Elvin said, and that was that he didn't plan to spend a lot of money on the backup position. They've got Spencer Martin under contract for one more year. And say what you will on Spencer Martin, as a starter, it didn't work. The pressure, teams kind of got onto that glove hand. Uh, it snowballed. He lost his last 10 NHL starts. But we saw at the American Hockey League level, first of all, he was the preferred starter in the second round against Calgary. He can play in the AHL. No question. He's an AHL goaltender. He'd already proven that. I mean, he, he, I think everybody in the city loved the story of him earning the contract with those six games uh, the previous season where... Oh, there the were nine, fans getting ahead of themselves. The like, oh, maybe he could replace Demko. Right. And so that's where, like, my caveat with, as much as I like <laughs> what I saw from Arthur Silovs, Silovs played five games. Spencer Martin played six the year before. Yeah. Like, it's such a small body of work at this level. But Silovs is younger. He's certainly tracking uh, in that direction to be a legitimate National Hockey Leaguer. I just wonder if the plan will be to come back and, 
see if Spencer Martin can give you six or eight quality starts while Demko stays healthy. And that gets you to Christmas. And then at Christmas, you know, if it's not working, maybe you have to reevaluate. You've got Silovs, maybe by Christmas, he's ready for a full-time promotion. I'm not expecting. I mean, they got the torpedo, the guy that they signed late in the season, the big dude that's, uh, you know, I think the plan is for him to play in Abbotsford. I mean, there's four goaltenders in your system. I don't think Colin Dilley is going to be back. And so this idea of bringing in another stopgap with NHL experience, that just kind of crowds the crease. And it's such a numbers game. I think what you see is what you're going to get for the Canucks. And it's rolling the dice because they did it last year. And the minute Demko went down, obviously goaltending became out. He got hurt in early December. They were already in the ditch by then. But uh, there was no coming back. Once he went down, the season truly got off the rails. And that's where I come back. Can you do that? to Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes and JT Miller's contract kicking in here. Can you walk this tightrope of when you've got Demko healthy, he gives you the goaltender you're looking for, but it's a contact sport and injuries happen. And if something does happen there, then what? Like that's, that's a tough look to look at these players that are playing their asses off and producing for you and getting let down by goaltending. So curious, but as I sit here with the cap constraints, I just don't see an avenue where they're going to go and allocate money, more money, to the goaltending position. I just I don't see it. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place. Kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one. Playoff football, BC Place. The Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them. The Dome will be rocking. Should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com. And check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog. Make a play at Canada's Choice for free casino games, sports odds, and poker strategies. Let's get to my Bodog best bet because, yes, there's a hockey game tonight. I don't know if I'm 100% feeling good about this, but I like the value on it. Plus, the way the Carolina Hurricanes have been playing, I just, I feel like they're going to win. And I think they're going to win by two or more tonight. So I've got the Canes on the puck line, minus a goal and a half at plus 175. Now I know Florida's been plucky and they've kept the games, at least against the Leafs, uh, to pretty low scoring affairs. But the Canes have been rolling and they've been stopping some teams as well. I feel like Carolina sets a state or puts out a statement tonight with a big win, more than two goals. Yeah. And I think one of the things that served Florida well is went into Boston, won the opener. No, they didn't. Actually, they lost to Boston on the opener, and they got the second one. But they they know they have to get a win on the road. I mean, they're the lower-seeded team here, so if they're going to win the series, they have to win. Now, the road hasn't been an issue for them. They won a game seven in Boston. They went into Toronto, uh, had success there. Uh, I always think, though, when you're the lower-seeded team and you know you got to get one on the road, just go in guns a-blazing, punch the other team in the nose, and see if you can't get that road win right out of the gate. So, um I don't know if you can do that against Carolina. That's the only thing. No, no, I I get all of that. I mean, it's great strategy, but you got to go up there and make it happen on the ice. It's a little weird here with the additional time off. Um, It probably feels like forever since Carolina's played. Not that I anticipate a lot of rust setting in at the stage, and they're getting Tuvo Teravainen back, uh, which is a nice lift for them. Um, Yeah, I mean, I like Carolina in the series. It's just I'm not sure that I have a read on how this game's going to go. I mean, both these teams, they can check you to death and, uh, you know, both have uh, pillars back there on the back end. 
goaltending, you know, I think we all think that like Kim Bob stay at that level, um, all worldly against the Toronto Maple Leafs, but new series, new opponent. And so, you know, I do think that it's fair to still question, you know, can he like, you know, has he flipped a switch? It seems unlikely that this guy who has struggled for much of his time in Florida, all of a sudden is the guy that, you know, they throw money at. Uh, but in that last round, he certainly was. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm going to sit back. I'll be an interested observer. I'm not as bullish on Carolina in the opener only because uh, I, I think I've learned by now not to bet against this Florida Panthers team, even though I do expect that Carolina will prevail in the series. Yeah, if you missed uh, our pod yesterday, we both have Carolina Vegas uh, winning the series and then meeting in the Stanley Cup final as well. But yeah, it, just, it feels like there's something special about this Carolina team. And boy, are they deep. Yep. They, they've got to be the, I mean, well, then again, as I say that, you know, Vegas is very deep as well. So interesting to see exactly where this goes, but I see the Canes by a goal and a half tonight. All right. Good stuff. We'll be watching that game, of course, and we'll talk about it again tomorrow because this has been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rinkwide is the show that always sports.